on this episode of The Jason Wright Show. Yeah, it was a big deal in my previous job. I never heard of it. No, but I worked as a college strength coach for over a decade, which uh, the barrier of entry in that is extremely challenging. It's just a lot of people who really aspire to be you know, working with elite level athletes. And it's, and it's an amazing opportunity. It's just, you know, to be honest, you really got to pay your dues. And uh, I got a really good... Uh, I guess comparable early of like, hey, if you want to make it big in the financial industry, you really got to you know pay your dues. And I think in coaching, the the bigger the the bigger the notoriety, the more people that you're working with who have a high potential for earning or really doing elite and special things, the harder it is to get involved with that. Hey folks, real quick, before you crush this episode of the Jason Wright Show, I have an announcement. I have launched the six-week Vitruvian Challenge. What is the six-week Vitruvian Challenge, you ask? This is my six-week mini mastermind course. It's like each week is its own mini mastermind. And what it is, it's where I've taken this idea, the improve always in always mantra, and I put it into a six-week course. The first week, we're going to cover mindsets and purpose, understanding the power of a growth mindset and understanding what your why and your purpose is. Next, it's habit-forming week. This is where we do a full week of understanding the science of habits, how to create good habits, and then how to break bad ones and do it all in a way that's actually sustainable. Then we go into an an immune-centric nutrition week. This is where I help you understand the power of your gut biome, how you can shed body fat. You can actually manage your fat cells and get them to work for you instead of against you. And most importantly, you stay healthy. And here's the key for somebody like me especially, it gives you all the tools you need to slow the aging process. Next, I go into mindfulness. It's a full week of understanding the power of breath, of understanding mindfulness. If you've never meditated in your life, this is a perfect week for you to just get an understanding of the power of starting to take control of your mind. And then finally, it's the goal-setting week. But more important than setting goals is setting good processes. You see, goals are nothing but the results of a well-executed process with the proper inputs in that. So, that's what this is. It's the six-week Vitruvian Challenge. I would love for you to go to jasonrightnow.com, jasonrightnow.com. Smash that link that says, it's on a little blue box on the homepage. It says the six-week Vitruvian Challenge. Smash that. Learn more. I would love to hear from you. All right, with that said, let's get on with this episode of the Jason Wright Show. Thanks. <laughs> Tim, welcome to the Jason Rock Show, brother. How you doing? I am doing fantastic, Jason. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to have you here. I'm glad that my buddy James Quandall introduced us because we're going to be talking about a couple of my favorites. Well, actually, probably a lot of my favorite things, not the least of which is writing, which you are an author now, uh, strength training, which you are not only an expert, but a coach in just general health and wellness. I had, I kind of wish we would have recorded our conversation 
from uh, this past weekend, just because I think we covered so many cool things, whatever we were just, you know, kind of riffing, just getting to know each other. And so um, I thought though, before we dug deep into those, uh, those weeds, let's just talk about you, man. Give me a little bit about where you come from and how you ended up from, maybe not from birth to the Jason Wright show, but fill in some, uh, fill in some pieces of the timeline for this audience. Yeah, I'm 41 now, so let's go take a bit. Um, so I would say that my primary background, at least in the health and fitness space, is working as a college strength conditioning coach. And for the listeners out there who aren't familiar with that, it's what I got very humbled now in my current job of moving into a private gym owner and working with the general population space is that it's kind of like we're we're really big in our own little world and the rest of the world doesn't really know you exist. So it's, a, it's an amazing like feeling to go, yeah, it was a big deal in my previous job, like never heard of it. No, but I worked as a college strength coach for over a decade, which uh, the barrier of entry in that is extremely challenging. It's just a lot of people who really aspire to be, you know, working with elite level athletes. And it's, and it's an amazing opportunity. It's just, you know, to be honest, you really got to pay your dues. And I got a really good, uh, I guess, comparable early of like, hey, if you want to make it big in the financial industry, you've really got to, you know, pay your dues. And I think in coaching, the the bigger the the bigger the notoriety, the more people that you're working with who have a high potential for earning or really doing elite and special things, the harder it is to get involved with that. And there's a couple of routes you can obviously go with that is, you know, proving your worth and doing a really good job or just really just being really good with people. I think both are, they're not, you shouldn't take one and people are really good at selling themselves for granted because that takes time and you got to get a lot of rejection. But on the other end, there's this dynamic of, I really want to prove myself as a, as a high caliber and high tier coach. So for me, I really tried to focus on, all right, let, let's try to develop myself as a coach, find good mentors, find good I guess, places to work and grow and learn, it took about four years before I even got a full-time job and interning, 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 working under really good mentors and really good places to grow and expand. But on the other end, gave me a lot better opportunity when I did get that paying job to be really good. And that, that was always my mindset, like be good first and the rest will take care of itself later. So by chance, just got really involved with good internships. I interned at Harvard, I interned at Georgia Tech, I interned at Old Miss. And then that got me my first job, which I actually became a full-time strength conditioning coach at Georgia Tech, worked there for four years. And then I ended up working at University of Southern California for four years. So if you have a lot of people in the South who listen to this and uh, they, they think uh, USC is uh, University of South Carolina, um, west of the Mississippi, it's pretty much University of Southern California. But I worked there for four years. And then um, I recently, my last job in college, I was a head strength, strength conditioning coach for football at Army West Point. Uh, and I worked there for three years and kind of left with um, on a high note. Uh, one, I wanted to be a head strength coach, but two, there was a huge opportunity there. They were just god awful for a long time. They lost the Navy 15 years in a row. Uh, just the program was probably at its lowest. It was a story, tradition rich program. And uh, we just, only one way to go is up. So my last year there, we made it to our first bowl game and uh, I think over six years. And then we actually beat Navy for the first time in 15 years. Uh, my last year and I kind of like Mike dropped it and left and then we me and a couple of former athletes actually had at University of Southern California wanted to kind of take a chance at opening up a gym concept and uh, the model was where do athletes go when they're done playing and we opened up the gym in 2017 and now we're in year five and we made it through a pandemic and 
we've made it through uh, expansion and growing and a lot of trial and error and being a small business owner and having a brick and more location and all the trials and tribulations of that. Uh, now we're actually expanding to our second and we'll have our third gym opened up here in the fall of 2022. Uh, but to that point of, I was really big in my own little world, opened up the gym. Man, I was a head strength coach at Division One school. We beat Navy. It was instrumental in that process. Yeah, that doesn't really matter. And I had to like humble myself and start from scratch and prove myself all over again. So I never now, now more so than ever, like don't take for granted that most people don't really appreciate or understand how hard it is to become where I was, but also too, like doesn't really mean anything to them until you prove your worth going forward. And, you know, actions speak larger, larger than words, your resumes are relevant until you prove that that resume actually has actually substance. And then from there, now we've had members ever since. Like we've had, we've been able to grow exponentially because we retain everyone and we keep them around and keep getting great results. And it kind of spawned in the middle of the pandemic of seeking, you know, other things to grow and push. And we got more time, um, a little bit of insecurity about our, I want a brick and mortar gym that's contingent upon people showing up. If that was done, what would I do? And just what I always do is take control of whatever I control of. And I just started writing. And, and then eventually it led into, I had about 500 words uh, or 500 pages. And I broke that up into modules and created a website, which actually has curriculum-based learning on it. But then off of that, while I was writing that, you know, like it's momentum, you know, everything sort of kind of works in this like positive tide and direction. So that spawned a book that I really was passionate about. Uh, and I really implemented and when I started to make my tail end of my college career, really trying to experiment. And this, the book essentially is what I did in my time at Army West Point and kind of like our framework we used there. It's this concept called strength deficit. And essentially it's how do I leverage eccentric versus concentric contraction? So if you're not familiar with that means, it's eccentric is going towards gravity. So I'm going down towards the ground. And what that is for muscle cell length for concentric, it's going away from gravity or overcoming gravity, and that's a shortening of the muscle cell. Now, I mean, for all things considered, it's you know, kind of could be considered semantics difference, but what happens is when you focus on one versus the other, you see different adaptations. And I wanted to know what that adaptation got me, relatively speaking, and how could it benefit my athletes? And essentially, just through a lot of research, a lot of trial and error, a lot of self-experimentation, a lot of like building it in slowly, but really trying to visit like that helped this aspect of performance. Is that good or bad? And then creating a framework off of that. And then going forward now, it's let's put that to paper and almost really think about it. Cause it's easy to like, all right, this is what I do without really any ability to explain it or articulate it or, or write about it. And that just kind of came like as I was writing out these modules, I just was writing this book and this book kind of came into fruition. And I remember my business partner who I presented this to, I was like, yeah, I did a book too. And he's like, okay. I'm like, what do we do with it? And he's like, I don't know. And that's when we came across James and, um, and then now we're kind of getting that book finished up and we're editing and we're going to get that sent out to the, the printers and that'll be pre-order available here. So uh, that's kind of me so far to this point here, bit gym owner, business owner, college training coach. Now uh, I got a book coming out of here and, um, early late spring, early summer, and we're pretty, pretty stuff fired up about all of it. Well, okay, I, I got to say something about USC. So Lincoln Riley is out at USC now. Did you see that freaking house he bought? 
17.5 million. Are you freaking kidding me right now? Yeah. yeah, that's a lot of money anywhere. But that's, that, that's a lot of money for LA. Um, good for him. Yeah. And who was it? It wasn't Kirby Smart. Who was it that that tweeted him and just yeah. said, uh, "Have they told you about the taxes in California?" Yeah, Lane. Lane's really. I work for Lane. At, um, that's right. That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lane knows firsthand. Um, he had a house in Manhattan Beach. It wasn't cheap at all either. Um, you know, you can only imagine what they're looking at that. Like, it's pretty amazing, and it's a beautiful part of LA. It's in Palos Verdes. It's amazing. It's like this little um, peninsula on the south coast of LA, and yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's like a little oasis out there. Yeah. So I always thought to myself whenever, because I was actually, um, you know, I was recruited. And I actually played at uh, a small one uh, two A school, Stephen F. Austin in Nacogdoches and but I did get recruited by bigger schools but to be honest with you I was a first generation college graduate I hated football but it was the only way I was going to school and my dad liked football so that meant I had to like football <laughs> so that was it was only so I chose the smallest school that offered me a uh, a scholarship but I remember going through that process and you know it was cool I went to Arkansas TCU uh, Baylor I went to some really cool schools but then I thought to myself that whole other level that I was nowhere near that to go out to UCLA, to USC. I mean, first of all, you go to you go to UCLA and you're basically going to college in Beverly Hills. I'm like, holy crap! I mean, what that must be like for these guys? It's just it's just kind of mind blowing. So then, whenever I saw Riley's new house out there, I'm like, this is just insane. So, uh, but now that aside, all the uh, the stuff that you can read about in People Magazine and everything. Let's get back to the, the, the why we're really here. I think you're in a sweet spot, dude. And I'm going to tell you why, because I'm just a lay person that's an enthusiast of health and wellness. And what's really cool, in my opinion, is that resume, I think, is going to resonate big time with guys like me who want to take a more scientific approach to and a more disciplined approach to uh, to muscle fitness, the, the physiology and the science behind what kind of makes us uh like just talking about eccentric work i mean i think that that is uh that's something that a lot of people don't know they just go and think well if i'm throwing up weights or if i'm doing a lot of cardio then that's it and i think that that content component is, is genius and also yeah i'm telling you the uh the the the, the way that the defragmentation of brick and mortar and and going outside the walls and you being able to coach people on the other side of the world, it's, it's, the world is literally your oyster. And I think by having that kind of that hybrid of doing some things that like you said on your website with coaching online and having some modules there, but also having the, 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 uh, the in-studio audience, if you will, by people being able to come to the gym, I think that's remarkable. So let's get into it because I know you know your stuff and you do not get to coach or even intern at those programs with, um, without knowing what you're doing. And the only reason why really that I mentioned the fact that being an undergrad, one of the things that we did whenever we were on our recruiting visits, you meet the strength and conditioning coach almost immediately because it's you guys that can look at a player and go, okay, like for me, whenever I was coming out of high school, I weighed like about what I weigh right now, around 195. And they want me to be an outside linebacker. So I gotta get around 210, 215. You're the guy that can look at my ass and my legs and, and, my, and kind of my frame and go, yep, we can get this kid here and he won't lose his speed. He, he won't lose his quickness. So it's really important what you do. So kind of beyond the eccentric stuff, like 
what is your kind of, and I, I also want to talk a lot about the mindfulness and kind of your thoughts, like we talked about on the fasting and some of the thermogenesis and uh, stuff we were talking about this weekend. But for that person that's listening right now, that um, let's say they're just like, Tim, where do I begin? I'm, you know, like for, for somebody like me, I'm 47, so I'm older than you. Uh, let's say that person out there, they haven't figured this out. Where do they get started on their road to health and wellness as you see it? I would break it down into three key phases. First one, just start, you know, just, just do something, right? And I think so often people want to skip to the, the provocative, the sexy stuff. And what we talked about on Saturday was like, you know, the plethora of information out there is good and bad. It creates this it creates this vector that people feel encouraged to do stuff, but the other side of it, they almost feel overwhelmed and insecure, like they couldn't handle that stuff. So the example we talked about would be, do I want to do cold water immersion? Like, well, do you want to start with a cold shower first to see if that's like ready? I mean, I think that's the same analogy for exercise and fitness. Like I want to change my body composition. I want to change the way I look and feel. Well, the biggest limiting factor is just not doing anything at this point. You're not doing anything, so we got to start doing something. So first thing is you do, like just go and just start. It could be 10 minutes a day. It could be just getting a membership and creating that, like, that momentum in that direction. Similarly, we talked about writing. Just start writing and see what happens. Like write for five minutes a day and go. Meditate, same thing. Everything across the board, the point A you're at is got to get some movement toward point B by just starting. And I think a lot of times – we put the potential for what someone could do off of the like 95% like the division one athletes that respond to anything that we could do as the, as the ultimate, like true North. But the reality is, is so many people are so far away from that, from mental, physical, emotional, even spiritual, that they, they get almost discouraged before they even start. So start is phase one. And then the next thing is, okay, well, any kind of path and mastery is just be good at it. Right. Like just, what can you do today and do that well? You know, so we'll always go through like, why do you want to do this? Like, okay, well, how bad do you want it? And what do you want to do for it? It really makes a difference. So if they don't really want to do it, they just kind of feel in that moment, they want to make a change, but they're not ready there, right? The readiness to change model. And then this pre-contemplation phase, they don't like the way they look, they don't like the way they feel. They're not going to be able to push through that moment of doing something well, you know, like that, that patience, that, that, viewing of okay i don't really have a great grasp of this yet so i'm going to build up with really good execution so if it's a strength training program can you go through a full range of motion can you get all your sets and reps can you get a good position i don't care about the weight just yet like i just don't and like hey on a compliance base to a diet or a modality it's like all right i want you to just focus on sleep hydration vegetables like i really want to push into calories and macros and nutrient timing and fasting like yeah, but I just want to see if you can get a good night's sleep and drink water and eat more vegetables first. Like, can you do that? You know, do things well before you start doing things heavy, fast, or long, right, or intense. And then the final phase is once you start getting a grasp of like, all right, now I'm doing things in a, in a really, really good manner and I'm executing at a high level without much conscious thought, then you start pushing the threshold, right? Like, and thresholds relative to the task at hand it could be really heavy in weight training. It could be really fast in sprint training. It could be really long in distance training. It could be really intense by taking that, that modality. Like, hey, I want to be able to meditate for an hour straight. Like that takes a lot of mental, mental stamina and conditioning. 
Like you're not gonna be able to do that right now. You could be sitting there for an hour and just be mind wandering. It's not really a good use of your time. It's too much. You could go for the coldest water you can imagine, 32, 33 degrees Fahrenheit, and then say, I'm gonna sit in there for an hour. But you couldn't even take a cold shower multiple days in a row. Right. You know, okay, well, it's too much. You know, like you're not doing it. And you're probably so, so deconditioned to that point that you look at that now as I don't never do that again. You never build up to it. I mean, all these things. So wherever you're at in the spectrum, like, okay, I'm listening to Jason. And we're talking about some really cool, interesting things. I want to be able to do that. Start, do it well. And then when you're ready and physically ready, emotionally ready, spiritually ready, then look to how do I squeeze as much out of this as humanly possible? And that's the same thing I try to be across everyone. It's just this like idea of, okay, you're here. The biggest thing is to be consistent and do it sustainably. And if we can't do those two things, it doesn't matter what the apex is. is you're not going to be able to do that or you won't get the value from it. Yeah. And one of the things too, that I know with your background, you had to have worried about quite a bit. I'll never forget one time whenever I tweaked my hamstring and my strength and conditioning coach was like, he can't, he comes running over and you could tell it was almost like getting a bad grade on his paper. Right. Because, you know, that's part of your job as a strength, strength and conditioning coach to be able to put these players out on the field and they're pliable as well as strong, they're quick, you know, but they don't get hurt. And so that's one of the things that I have, again, being you know, as old as I am, especially, and just finally real. And I think just the world's kind of waking up to the, the benefits of proper recovery. So when it was, so what is, and you mentioned one in there that's so important. And I think we, we talked about it a couple of times Saturday is, is sleep. I'm actually this, uh, this uh, upcoming uh, issue of the Vitruvian letter, my newsletter, I'm actually writing an article that will touch on sleep because I'm going to write about the circadian rhythm and how important it is to stay within a rhythm. But talk to this audience about the, not only the importance of recovery and getting sleep, but just what is the what is a protocol that you execute? Now, now I'm sure you're you're obviously you know much more advanced than a lot of the listeners to this audience, but just anyone to make sure that they are recovered. Um, and, and let's say that they don't have it. Like I've got my aura ring, which has been really beneficial as far as just starting to really track my sleep or a whoop, you know, or something that will give you some sort of a marker to say, Hey, you know, you might want to back off. What are some, some, some things that you have deployed to make sure that you're recovering properly as well as actually getting the work in that you need to. Perspective on this one really matters. And if you present to me that you wanted to lose body fat or if you wanted to sprint faster or whatever the outcome that you want, you know, the, we have to look at it almost if you're doing a pre-mortem of like, what's going to be the biggest rate limiting factor here. And we could go into a bunch of different areas. Like, oh, well, you got to go into more uh, beta oxidation and create lipogenesis or fat burning. And these protocols or these nutritional things really, really help that marker or on the other end like oh well if you want to get faster okay well we got to sprint we got to get stronger we got to go put more force to the ground we got to get better mechanics so we can do a whole you know just a whole list of things right but the reality is all those are running off the pre off the, the pretense that we're recovered going into those things and as a whole you know one of the things that we understand from physiology in general is that the body responds to stress in a specific way and in regards to if it's too much your body will start to create countermeasures to try to slow you down 
if it's too little, your body won't really adapt at a certain level. And that simple, like just, I guess, dynamic of, well, stress is the, we're intentionally applying stress to change something that you, based off of what you told me you wanted or what we feel collectively that this is what you need. And when we don't really appreciate the idea that that stress is not working in a vacuum or it's not working in isolation, that that's kind of going to be either amplified or inhibited by other factors of like recovery. Okay, then we have to have to take a bigger perspective. Like, so you tell me you want to lose fat or you want to get faster. Okay, we'll, we'll go through all the things that we can do from a, a needs analysis. Okay, we're just, you're mobile, you don't have really good uh, flexibility, we don't have really good mechanics. Go a whole list of that. But all of that is obsolete if you slept four hours the night before and you have this many time sprints or this many drills or this many high intensity inputs. And going into the idea of what sleep really does in any kind of recovery-based deal, it's all working off of rhythms. You look at it hormonally of, okay, well, cortisol runs at a specific time. It should be peaking in the morning and start to lower gradually throughout the day. What also it does, it times into when we should get the most sunlight. So if we're thinking most sunlight should occur in the morning and work up to about peak at noon, this should be the time that we're doing the most active things. And these are the things that we should be focused on. And then on the other end, Okay, while we start getting darker, the penile gland starts to release melatonin and that starts this process of these anabolic hormones come to play. Another big one being leptin. And leptin's this like forgotten hormone that we, we typically, yeah, kind of might hear the term leptin resistance, but if leptin timing is off, every other hormone is probably gonna be off. And you could probably trace it back to probably got light too late, we're on a screens too late, we're stressed at night, we're doing things that are stimulating at night that is not allowing us to produce melatonin, producing maybe cortisol a little too late or epinephrine or norepinephrine, which are these catecholamines that are gonna help us create energy if we don't have enough circulating cortisol. We're burning through dopamine and things like that. And then it goes into this idea of, okay, well, leptin is not being produced, create this leptin resistance. We feel, we feel hungrier because our, our technically our energy gauge is off. And the next morning we create salty, sweet, savory foods, which our mind triggers as these are high energy rich foods and then our cortisol is high and then we start to produce fat so if i wanted to lose weight and you're simply just not going to bed or removing light at a certain time all of that is not going to happen the way we want i can do the high intensity interval protocol i can get you fasted i can do the most advanced supplement deal i've ever created but none of that will work to the level it should if you're just simply not going to bed if you're not going to bed and don't have enough prerequisite recovery, not even from the hormonal standpoint, let's go from the central nervous system standpoint, that this autonomic tone, the two big, the big drivers, and you can call it yin and yang, you can call it up and down, but parasympathetic and sympathetic. Sympathetic is fight or flight, parasympathetic is rest and digest. If we only focus on the fight or flight, duality or just nature in general will find some way to bring you down. And it's going to limit your sympathetic output, the thing that you're really striving to change that marker before you even start because it knows that your body's not ready to handle that. And the simple answer is, hey, we got a sprint workout tomorrow, or we're going to go through a really hard fat burning workout tomorrow. Make sure you go to bed, you know, and so you're not almost gassed out and limiting your potential, lowering your ceiling from what you should be able to do. If you override that, your body's going to respond by hurting or allowing yourself to get hurt or just burn out and then you lose motivation. So again, it comes down to perspective of, well, 
are you willing to make the necessary, I guess, compromises off of your day-to-day and not just over-reliant on the stress that you could add to your body? It's the other side. It's the recovery aspect. It's this dynamic of going to bed at a certain time is as productive as getting a really good workout the next day. And I always tell people, like, your biggest event or your biggest calendar thing that you should focus on, it's like I got Jason 11.15, but 12 hours before that, I'm going to bed at nine because I got to wake up the next morning at six because I have a series of appointments there. So that 9 a.m. to 6 a.m. or 9 p.m. to 6 p.m. or 6 a.m. appointment, it's my most important appointment I have all day. Like everything has to stop. Like I can't take any calls at that time because I'm sleeping. And I build it around that. And what it does is, hey, before I met with you, I'm going to make sure I'm hydrated, have a good meal, make sure I'm mentally, emotionally, cognitively ready before I go for a workout, the same thing. I want to be as good within this time period as I possibly can. And that starts with doing the meeting beforehand, which is sleep at the highest priority. So going through the routine, it's, all right, well, reverse engineer, how do I get a good night's sleep? Like there's, there's a consistency aspect. And there's things that we do that we know is beneficial to improve sleep, like cool, dark, lowering our body temperature, lowering our, our heart rate down to a really good note so we can actually get deep restful sleep, removing stimulating things like TV screens, things that like email and things that could potentially stress us out. Uh, it could be doing things that allow us to get in a more meditative or relaxed state of mind, like journaling, breathing, meditating, soft tissue, whatever that thing is that allows you to hey, prioritize that. And just like I'm getting ready for a workout, Okay, I'm going to start to do my soft tissue, go through my flexibility stuff, take my pre-workout supplements. I'm thinking that same thing for sleep because I want that eight hours, that time I have. And it could be six tonight, right? Like we all have stuff that pops up. I got to go to dinner, I got to go to a meeting. Okay, but when I get home, I'm going to treat this like a pre-workout, like I would going through a really heavy squat workout or a really heavy sprint, fast sprint workout or a really hard conditioning workout. I'm going to put myself in the best mental, physical, and cognitive kind of setup to be as good as possible in that. And that six hours, whatever it is, or that 12 hours and whatever it is, I'm going to be as prepared for that as possible because I know that that's going to be the biggest rate limiting step to whatever it is I want to do from an input standpoint the next day or the day after. I, man, very well said. And all of those are concepts that I have just probably with, I would say, man, within the last year, really started to grasp. I used to be like, if you were my coach, I would have probably you would have had to really beat it into my head for a while on the perspective deal, not so much on the sleep. Well, the pre- preparation for sleep and actually treating sleep. Like how many times do you hear people go, I want to be able to get up earlier. I want to get up earlier, but no one ever says, I want you to help me be able to go to bed sooner, go to bed sooner. Or I, you know, I want to be up by 5.00 AM or before the sun is up, but they never say, I really want to make sure that I can sleep for at least seven hours rarely. And so I was that that guy that it took a long time to get that perspective correct. And I would, I think I told you this weekend, I used to think I had to get up and crush a thousand calories first thing in the morning before I before anything was right. And I just I was terrible. My face looked gaunt. Uh, my I was I was holding on to body fat, you know, and it just it my whole my body was working against me. You know, and that what you said is something I had to learn the hard way that. Your body will, the inflammation, it's going to come. The body's going to say, okay, if you're going to destroy us, it may not be our ancestral body was made to run right from a saber-toothed tiger that might be behind 
bush. If if there's no saber tooth tiger and you're just going to go ahead and abuse your body, well, guess what? We're gonna we're gonna compensate and you're gonna feel it. And then one of the things I literally just learned this morning, I was reading. Um, what's his name? I got the book right over here. It's uh, maybe Sanjay Panda doesn't sound right. His last name's Panda, and he wrote a book about right so the circadian rhythm. And this whole idea, and for the listener, this is just something that I'm not smart. I just learned this this morning, and I'm just confirming exactly what Tim just told you, that when it comes to if you're supposed to, say, have seven hours of sleep and you only get six and a half, that deficit of 30 minutes is going to stick with you. Your body's going to remember you didn't get that 30 minutes you needed or whatever your circadian rhythm is. And that's why so many people on the weekend will sleep in and sleep late because your body's still keeping – count of that deficit going hey back then it's just adding up and adding up and if you let it add up too long okay that's whenever you catch a cold you catch you know all sorts of bad things happen and so i was like huh and you and, it, and the body can't be tricked you can't just go ah, i only got five hours no big deal i'll just i'll make it up in a nap or whatever you can't make it up all at once on one you can't sleep 10 hours the next night and expect to regain that deficit and that to me was so enlightening so you know, to the listener, exactly what Tim said as far as recovery, it makes good sense. Now, tell me what you do whenever you, either because you know your body so well, because you've been at this so long, Tim, or you do have a wearable that's telling you that it is the day for you to go hard. But like I look at my app and my aura ring says, hey, your, your heart rate was a little high last night. You, you're not fully recovered. Um, you might want to take it easy today, but I'm meeting with Tim today and we're doing sprints. We're, we're crushing some, some, some hit circuits. What do I do? So there's the paradox of wearables, right? So Aura, Whoop, Apple, Garmin, whatever it is you're doing, it's that burden of knowledge to know that your previous transgressions are holding you back from what you should be doing. And that's, that could be too perceived in one of two ways. One being, Okay, that's the the overcome and adapt mindset, or that's the okay, this is good information and I need to take that and, and really listen to it. And I think whatever your perception is, and there's a, another uh, we, we track so much, but one of the ones that we try to do is a simple wellness questionnaire. And subjective wellness to me is as important as any internal metric with aura or any kind of heart rate, resting heart rate, heart rate variability, whatever the the internal metric is has to have synergy with what I'm seeing from your subject of wellness. So sleep quantity, how many hours did you sleep last night? And I want you to think about actually how many hours did you sleep last night because it matters, right? It makes you think, they're going to ask me tomorrow, so I better go to bed tomorrow, tonight. And what I see a lot with that wellness questionnaire, it's the omission of that information. So a lot of times we'll just skip that question and go on to the other questions. And that tells me everything I need to know right there. Yeah. It means that you didn't get a good night's sleep. And it means you're self-conscious about it. And it means that you don't care about that metric because you don't want it to influence potentially the workout that you want to do, knowing that that quality of that workout is going to be lessened. So in a sense, the, the conversation goes back again to of like, don't use exercise or the, the intentional stimulus as a crux to get away with your transgressions or the things that you're not changing, right? It's, it, 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 it's not like... It's not like I can do these things and then just go to, to work out and it's going to make up and resolve me for all the things I didn't do the day before. They work in concert with one of each other. So if 
I would say I had a super stressful day and I really pushed hard in a lot of areas, but it didn't work out, right? Just a lot of meetings, a lot of stress, I got stuck in traffic and a bunch of variables and just, you know, I have a crappy night's sleep. And then next day I sees my recovery, my readiness score is down, meaning my HRV is low or my resting heart rate's high. Then all of a sudden I have to make a decision. I have a planned workout this day. If I know it's not going to be good, well, do I just skip it or do I overcome and adapt? And I think this is going to be the part as we start to, you know, get more and more information and more and more data, we'll be better at telling you, Jason, probably not best for you to do that. But on the other end, there is that, you know, I had worked with a sports psychologist at USC and I thought he was so just amazing by his intuition and his experience and his wisdom but we always say, if you're expecting to have a great day every single day, you are lying to yourself. And you have a lot of just have a good shitty day. And I thought that was so funny. And I thought that was so good. But like, you should be tired. You should be sore. You should feel less than from training. That's right. the point. It's yep. intentionally stressing you and your body needs to adapt. So if you're expecting to be perfect, you're lying to yourself. And we should see a natural cause and effect relationship. I train hard my body's going to be tired or I train hard. I should be sore. I, I train hard. I'm going to look at these like KPIs or these correlate things start to go down before they go up. That's a natural adaptation. But on the other end, it's if I just keep ignoring that message and I keep just going, eh, that thing's not going to tell me how to live my life. I'm going to go through with this anyway. And the quality of what we're doing is going down, meaning I'm restricting, I'm losing range of motion. I'm losing position or I'm not, we track bar speed, we track weights, we track reps. If we're missing reps, if we're not going enough intensity on the bar, if we're not keeping a certain amount of bar speed, if that coach's subjective assessment of range of motion, position, what we call technique isn't there, then it's counterproductive. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, is if you choose to ignore that information and you still go forward, it might mean you need to make some concessions with intensity or speed. It might mean you have to adjust some exercises that are not as high a threshold. And the question would be, is that still worth your time? Yes or no? Well, if it's moving you that close and your biggest limiting factor is consistency, I'm probably going to take that, take that risk. If you're just starting out and I see that your readiness is down, but I know that a bigger limiting factor is you staying adhering to a plan, I'm probably going to say, keep it going, just find a better strategy in that given day. If I have a really type A personality that just pushes hard, I'm not going to be afraid if readiness isn't there to say, you should take a day off. Mm -hmm. I think that dynamic, it's, it's a little gray. There's a little bit of the art of it, which is still like, okay, coaches still need it, right? Like, and maybe that's a self-serving answer of, I don't want to become obsolete based off of, of aura, basically telling you what you need to do on that day and day and any single day. But on the other end, there's this, now we have a load of information and you're creating two archetypes. It's the person that, screw it, I'm never going to listen to that stuff anyway. And then the other end is I'm going to be really, really responsive to this it could be good or bad like yeah you get a bad readiness and i'm like i can find a way to get a great training session with you today it just might not include the things that were originally prescribed but that's okay we're still going to get a really good thing so i got you here i yeah. want to make the most of this time and hopefully more data more time better uh better i guess aggregation and communication and figuring out that and understanding human psyche and if i just get you off this really fast moving train that you're never going to get back on Okay, well, I got to pick my battles. I got to know when to push. I got to know when to adjust. Or sometimes if, and this happens a lot, I'm sure you experience this when you were in college, of, a lot of times you need to 
instruct that person that's not doing what they should be doing a lesson of, okay, this is important, man. So if you don't sleep the night before because you're playing video games and you have a really hard workout within reason, you know, I don't want to do anything dangerous, but I want you to understand that you should go to bed and you should take care of your body when you're outside of here. And uh, this workout's coming at 6 a.m. no matter what. That, that lesson, and over time, you come see here and you're like, yeah, it's Wednesday night, go out with my buddies, or Thursday night, I don't want to go out, I'm going to eat January and get destroyed tomorrow's workout, I'm going to pass up on dollar or 10 set wings and dollar beer night, like, that's a win, right, you know, and like a lot of college programs almost mean too much on that side, but on the other end, it's, it's a great strategy to make something important to someone who doesn't value it just yet, because they don't know the consequence of that, right. I don't want to use exercise as punishment, but I want to use it as as a mechanism to reinforce positive habits. And if that changes the needle, irregardless of what I see that, and I know that that poor, poor readiness is your own fault because you're just not mature enough or just not bought in enough to make the right decision at the right time, then I have to think, okay, if I really want to get across to Jason that this is important, I got to make him go through this at the prescribed way and, and then him go, I, I'm just crushed. You know, that could have been really a lot easier if you just went to bed earlier, you know, and who knows how that plays out, but that dynamic of the art of it is still needed in there and you probably need a third party to go, time to push, we're going we're gonna to make up for that lost ground that you didn't want to make any changes up, or hey, I know you, bu you bust your ass every single day, like, you're going to have days where you'll be tired, let's make some adjustments or let's just give you a day, so that element will always be a play. All right. So because of the programs that you have been a part of, I know that you have just coached some absolute studs who is just one or two, just absolute freaks of nature. Just a coach's dream would do what you said to do. And we're just absolute beasts that would roll up to the combine. And I want to ask you about that. How much do you, even though it's, it's probably not fair to yourself, but I'm, you know, I'm going to the, I'm just asking two questions at once. One, who's the beast. And two, whenever you have a player, that you've coached in strength and conditioning and you have tried to scientifically get them to their peak performance physically and they go to the combine. How much of that, how much pressure do you put on yourself for that player to perform well at the combine? And then also who is, and if you, if you have a name that you just like, the dude was just unbelievable. Who might that be? So to the first part with the combine, I find it's, I find it's an interesting time with the combine of, with college conditioning, typically guys, more power five schools. So if guys graduate, they're going to probably go off to a combine specific training place. But you're seeing, and I don't know if it's a huge pendulum swing, but a lot of those tests aren't really indicative of anything. So, right. and, it, and it's, I think it gives you some metrics, but mostly it's like this grade down mentality of you're going to start off with a hundred and then you go to this combine and you're going to start to get your grade pulled down. Right. Oh, okay. He's got four, seven, 40, not a guy. He just caught a thousand yards worth of receiving. And he's the best route runner in football. Seems to have enough game speed to make it happen. Right. Um, so there's that element, you know, you have a lot to lose as opposed to the game. And then the other side of it, it, it does diminish the value off of some of these strength, power and speed assessments. If someone's good in spite of it, and it gives us like, wrong impression off of people who are really really explosive as and eh, they're probably not a football guy they're just a weight room guy yeah and like you know like there's like a stigmatism or stereotype associated with it like in my opinion i think it's kind of an archaic way of of evaluating talent um yeah. 
And I think as a college strength coach, you know, I, and you're evaluated on this, right? You can look at it from the context of, all right, well, that coach is going to evaluate me on a couple metrics. Like what is my, my offensive line coach and how my guys bench, you know, like whatever that, I don't think that's relevant to be honest. I don't think it's that important, but sure. I will give you that number. And if I want to do a, like a AMRAP at a certain intensity that's lighter and put up these like really fake numbers, like awesome. I'll do that for you. But it doesn't necessarily like move the needle to make me a better offensive lineman. But if that's what I'm evaluated on and I want to keep my job, I kind of like double down and lean on it. Right. Like we all like gets measured, gets managed. Right. Yeah, exactly. And like, the question is what's getting measured matters, you know? And like, and then, and then it goes on this another order of, okay, well, guys are going to go and pay to play at places that really don't make a difference for their monetary value. Um, and there's a whole misleading element with sports agents and saying, I'll cover you. And then they take it out of your first basically paycheck and you're paying for it. You just don't realize it. And it's kind of a fish and shady industry. So like for me, with the pro guys that we work with at the colleges that I worked at was always like, you can train here for free. I'm just not going to be able to, you know, create this concierge type environment where I'm not going to make everyone your meals. You know, I'm not going to pick you up, bring you up, put you at a hotel. Like you're just going to have to, you know, get by. You know, like you have to come in here, train, get after it. Um, I'll do all the, the bells and whistles with you within the confines of our weight room. But other than that, like you're kind of on the hook for, hey, if you want to get some massage therapy, if you want to get, you know, some different supplementation protocols or whatever else that we might be able to get some of these combine places. Um, but then in regards to like, there is that like ultimate measuring stick of like, if I'm good at what I'm doing, it should manifest there. And, and, and by that you go, okay, well, we produce really high level, high performing athletes that can play high level football without getting hurt. And then go to the combine and kill it, you know? And like, you know, kind of a great way to like use yourself as a marker versus everyone else. And, you know, we're competitive. I mean, you look at it like what's our degree of impact in the game could be under 1%, right? If we like aggregate it out, like Lincoln Riley's going to win because he just gets more talent. He might be better play caller, situational, situational football, like a football coach. Probably the biggest reason why USC is going to be good. Um, and their strength conditioning staff is amazing. And I think they do a really good job. Um, but their weight of difference there versus the difference I might've had in Army is night and day. I mean, I might've made more of a 10% impact in Army, which is still small if you put it in comparison, and it was under 1% at USC. So how do we evaluate each other? We all send our guys to the combine and they go out there and put up really good times, really good jumps, really good, really good everything, you know? And like, okay, that's a cool thing to look at. So when I really break it down and I look at KPIs, and what coaches are really asking me and what they really want, whether they know it or not, is can they run faster, jump higher? And the biggest test I use is the backward overhead med ball throw. It's taking a five kilo med ball and throwing it for distance behind you as far as you can. Really? Wait, wait, yeah, yeah tell me about that. Why? Why, why is that the, such an important measure? Three key metrics that you find. Okay. One, they're longer, means they have better lever, right? Like you took like a guy who's six foot six, a good frame. He's better, better distance in his arms, better levers, really, really the things that you can't teach, right? Like the better, like I six foot six DN, you just need to put muscle mass on, play basketball. Like, you know, there's a reason why those guys are coveted, right? Yep. So they have a good lever, right? So me, I'm five foot eight, short arms. I'm automatically at a disadvantage, right? Okay. Second thing is how powerful explosive you are. Right? You, if you're going to take a weighted med ball and throw it behind you for distance, 
you need to have some sort of machinery to move that, whether it's cross-sectional muscle area or muscle mass, or you just have a really adept nervous system, right? You can propel a ball for distance a certain amount, right? Why shot putters are really good, you know, versus some aren't. The final aspect is just simply athleticism. Can you projectile a, a medicine ball at a certain time or release point better than others? And I think there's a skill component. Can you triple extend? Can you throw a release ball? And the guys who could always break 70 feet are always first round draft picks, Hall of Fame type of guys. The guys who could break 60 feet were always going to be starters. More so than a, co a correlate, I could tell you the starters and the guys who are going to get drafted in the NFL by what they threw the med ball more so than I could from jumps and sprints. Really? Absolutely. Unequivocally. It's crazy. Awesome. And I'm trying to convey that metric to our coaches and like they have no reference point because there's no combine related score of that. Right. And, and to be honest, it takes guys like me who are like walk on mentality, hardworking guys, and I can barely break 40 feet. I'm like, I got to put all my ducks in a row to get 40 feet. Also wasn't a very good football player, you know, and like that, that dynamic when it plays itself out, like, all right, I can che cherry pick things that I'm already good at. And by extension, Jason, you should focus on that as a college athlete because I get rapport and credibility with you because I'm good at something and I can force that down your color and saying, you should squat, you should bench because I'm good at that. Look at me. And then we do this great equalizing test, like throwing a med ball for distance. And you're like, man, that coach can only throw like 30 feet. And I can do, I'm six foot three and I can throw that ball 50 feet, but you're better lever right away. Now the thing, if I want to take you 50 to 60, is I going to get stronger and I'm going to work on athleticism. And the thought is, okay, like, and it kind of goes into the next part of like the biggest freaks I work with, like I yeah. never worked with. Yeah. You know, I can tell you the guys who broke 70 feet on one hand, it was Tyron Smith starting left tackle for the Cowboys, Malcolm Smith, Super Bowl MVP for the Seattle, Seattle Seahawks, Calvin Johnson, who's Calvin Johnson, AKA Megatron, a defensive end named Michael Johnson who played, George, played for us at Georgia Tech and had a great NFL career. No one in Army, no one ever non-starter, no one who's never uh, never was going to get play in the NFL, but great college football player because he was always situationally aware, always ready, you know, busted his ass in practice, did everything he needed to do as a college football player to help the team, just you knew he didn't have that upside, you know, and you see the guys when you do some of these like high school combines who know how to cheat some of the tests when we get to the vertex, they're pulling their shoulder down or we're doing a pro agility or five ten five. they're leaning in that direction. And like, I know you, I knew you were coach on this and you're cheating. <laughs> you want to cheat it to like take fraction off this, but like until you see Calvin Johnson run a five ten five in five steps, meaning that he took one step left, two steps, right. And then one step back towards the middle, maybe a gathering step in there. You don't know what real athleticism yeah. is you're looking at the differentiator. It's man, he's just a better athlete, better levers, and he's just more powerful. Yeah. So if I'm breaking down, like, all right, hey, what is the value of the combine? And maybe it's like a little pat in the back, like look at the guys I was coached. Most of that was innate. On the other end, though, if I go into this direction of like, I have this test with the backwards overhead med ball throw, and it tells me a lot of things, right? Like he probably is not going to be a guy. Like he just doesn't have good levers, not athletic. I can get him stronger, I get him more powerful. That's pretty simple to do, but can't make him taller and probably certain level, like small difference in making him athletic. Practice, yeah, but even practicing every day, I still never do a break 50 feet. Like I know that and I've done it, I've tried it and it's gotten really strong. I'm a great weightlifter. I've got all these things. I can snatch, clean, jerk the house, squat the house. I can't make myself longer and I'm probably not gonna make myself that much more of an athlete. But these other guys, I have a lot more room for improvement.
the other big one on we this is kind of like we did these competition and stuff and things like litmuses of your your, your quality of your strength conditioning program the army we always do this like friday challenge and stuff so like hey can you swing the um swing a kettlebell two hundred times in a row without breaking oh, it whoa something. two oh god that that sounds brutal. but with that being said is like my grip my thought process if your grip is weak which is a pretty interesting yep. marker of your program success like you know dad strength kind of thing Yep. You, know, you should be able to see that unbroken, right? And you see guys like kind of timid, like, oh, I'm going to grab a 16 kilo kettlebell, which is you know, fairly light for a 300 pound guy. And you're like, okay, let's see how that plays out. By the time I got to my fourth year, my third year in Army, there was guys who were literally swinging the 40 kilo kettlebell, 200, kilo, 200 reps unbroken. Now, does that matter to football? No. Is that the right energy system? No. Does that really make a difference to that? But towards like, hey, I can play O-line, D-line, I can do whatever I need to do from a football player perspective? Absolutely not. There was a marker for, we we went through the harder right over the easier wrong. We did the hard training. We, our grip improved, our toughness improved. Like th things like calluses improved. We always joke about the guys like, you can put up these numbers, but bench press isn't a team sport. So if I see six hands on the bar, it doesn't matter. It's not a good lift. You, know, you, you can put a lot of weight in the bar. You can shoot your butt back and drop your nipples below your knees and you can grind out a back squat. It doesn't matter. You're not faster. You're not moving better. Yeah. But versus this other thing of like, you know, these markers of like, like really how well are you going to be able to go through hard things and find an efficient path and just fight through? And like, I'd be happy to say, like, they did it all with really good precision and technique. Like, it didn't look like crap. It didn't look like, it's getting ugly. I better cut this. Like, it was like, it's a good swing. Yeah. It's good. They're tough. They can push through. And I think that applies to our weightlifting, like keeping the bar tight, going fast, catching it deep, or sprinting, getting frontside mechanics, getting backside mechanics, keeping the technique that we taught them when it's hard. You know, like, hey, we're going to push a heavy sled, or we're going to pull, pull a sled in a specific distance, or... We're going to do some partner chases and stuff that we really want to push our guys to be able to get to. It's all well and good if we can't keep mechanics and the risk goes up and the actual value goes down. So if I'm doing drills, if I'm doing things that hopefully are going to translate, if it doesn't, do you have that mental conditioning and that stamina to be able to do it? And where it really showed out, uh, we used to, at Georgia Tech, and I give all the credit to my boss on this, um, just very resourceful and very in, in, ingenious with like, let's get some cool pieces. We went down to Kroger and said, do you have any old shopping carts that you want to get rid of that the wheels had busted off and just sitting in the back? And we grabbed all those carts. We had a welder on campus at Georgia Tech. And can you put some metal skis on this? This is before Prowlers. Like this is like literally the early 2000s. Yeah. And we put a hundred pounds of sandbag in the actual shopping cart with these metal skis in the bottom. So two metal skis, shopping cart. It's, you know, like, my belly button height, maybe like mid thigh height for Calvin or some Mike Johnson, who's like six foot six. And then what we just did is simply like on a finisher on Friday, like how fast can you push that that shopping cart with a hundred pound sandbag in there, hundred hundred yards, like basically like trying to replicate that. I'm not lying. Calvin Johnson did it in under twelve seconds. I couldn't run hundred yards in. It's a beast. That's insane. I was running by side him, like trying to get the stopwatch going, like go, oh, and he's like past me i'm like you gotta get it done and everyone there like in mike johnson the same thing like the rest of us mortals like pushing it like but really good athletes are pushing it 15 seconds like it's a really good time like what did calvin do like it's a different percentile man and like there's always these things in your programming that like you know the uh there's um, a really really good line um from laws and medicines the 
the norms are created by like what we see traditionally and the, the laws are created by the outliers. Yeah. That was a law. Like, like there was the fundamental <laughs> law of nature is there's him and then there's everybody else. And um, that's why he had such a productive career. He was an amazing person. Um, I worked for him brief time. And I would say like, we always joked about our level of influence on Calvin was trace, but we like to overly take credit for that. Um, but he was amazing. He was a great person, great man. Um, just really good worker. Like, Everything he asked me to do, he did tenfold. I'm so happy his career, professionally and personally, turned out the way it did. That's awesome. All right, I got to ask one more question about the medicine ball. How how much should the medicine ball weigh? Five kilos or eleven pounds. Okay, I think I. There's, there's a couple of med balls out there that you could probably play around. Bigger diameter one. So if like you ever seen like a Dynamax one, which is uh-huh. not as easy to throw. So the bigger the diameter is harder. The um, traditional rebound balls that like rubberized and back end. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, Skills has a really good one. It's just five, uh, actually a uh, six kilo one, so it kind of makes it a little different. But five kilos, hopefully basketball size or smaller, and then yep. um, get your heels to the edge of the line. So let's just say you go to a football field, put your heels on a uh, on the goal line, so front edge of it, not the back edge. You're not taking the line, so to speak. Okay. And then launch it as far as you can backwards, as far as you can for distance. And where it lands on that first land, that's your marker. Okay. So if it goes 20 yards and above at 60 yards, 60 feet, you're a really good athlete. Okay. If it's like 50 to 60 feet, pretty good. If it's like below 50, like like most normal people, all right, if you're 40 and you're only doing strength training, probably need to do some explosive work, you know, and yeah. like work on some sprints some plyos, some weightlifting, snatch, clean and jerk, things that are going to be making you more reactive. If it's you're really long and really like lean or slender and it's not breaking 50 feet, just get stronger. Kind of creates this force velocity continuum that gives you some sort of vector to work on. And, and that's kind of the premise and not to like get too far uh, out of the context of that question, but it's a big premise of strength deficit that book I just finished. Yeah. It's what matters, right? Like measure what matters is a really interesting line you just use because we can just get you stronger arbitrarily. And if it doesn't lead to anything that helps you as a football player, then it's really kind of pointless. It's just spinning your wheels. It's just validating things that are meaningless or obsolete or unnecessary. And as we look through that, let's just say that we create this, like if you're familiar with weightlifting, um, you look at your ratio of clean to snatch. Like, so clean would be the, from the floor catching on your shoulders versus snatch from the floor catching overhead. And you can clean 100 kilos, which would be 220 pounds, and you can snatch 90 kilos, which is about uh, 200. So if I look at those ratios, that's not a very good ratio of clean to snatch. I would say you should get stronger. On the other end, if your snatch is 70 kilos, you probably need to get a lot faster. So with that, it gives me some sort of direction. Like, okay, suppose you said to me, hey, I want to work on weightlifting, and I do the ratio there. Obviously, technique hopefully is in place. I got some sort of vector, right? All right, Jason, we got to work on getting stronger. We're going to squat. We're going to deadlift. We're going to do some heavy things. I'm um, really slow. Okay, we're going to do some more plyos. We're going to do some more speed work. Probably do some lighter weightlifting things to work on your timing. Same thing with training, right? So you can't throw a med ball really far. You're six foot three. You're 190 pounds. I got to get stronger. If you're like me, who's already really strong in the force velocity, force velocity profile, Kind of getting faster. And the same thing with strength deficit. We have this metric that we use is just looking at your counter movement jumps, so down and up without stopping, versus a non-counter movement, which is go down, pause for a three count, and just look at the ratio. 
if that ratio is in place, we should see some sort of some sort of diagnostic to where we're at to where you need to be. So if you play wide receiver, defensive back, a perimeter player, you need to be really good in space. We want that ratio to be larger. So I want you to counter movement a lot more than your non-counter movement. So the ratio kind of works within this continuum of 1 to 1.25. So if you can counter movement jump 1.25 and above more than you can non-counter movement jump, we're in a good spot. It's when we see that ratio shrink for our perimeter athletes that they're very close on their non-counter movement to their counter movement. Most of the college transition programs and strength conditioning programs in football are going to shrink that gap organically because we only do concentrically oriented things, right? It's right. only going to be limited what you can overcome. So if I go down on the squat and I can't stand up with it, that's the rate limiting step. So we're going to choose a weight that I can lift concentrically. It's not nearly taxing that lowering part or that eccentric part as much as we should. So we're definitively missing a huge aspect of what these guys need to be successful. On the other end, though, we have a really good and well-designed program for people who work in closed spaces, people who need to come overcome someone's external body mass, or people who need to come from a static position, like an offensive or defensive lineman. So I want to get that ratio smaller. I want their non-counter movement jump to be almost as good, if not better, than their counter movement jump. And then going back to the med ball throw example of, if I have this guy who can't throw far, why? What are they really good at? And what does that really matter, relatively speaking? Like, does it really matter I can't throw a med ball far? I'm only going to be a backup guy. I'm going to be a walk-on. Like, I need to get him faster, but I want to push towards some sort of vector. So I have this number saying I'm really poor percentile-wise. What does that matter? Is it even relative? Like, how many offensive linemen who played 10 years plus? I guarantee Andrew Withworth, who's had a Hall of Fame NFL career, probably doesn't have a great counter move to jump. I'm just assuming. I'm speculating, but I'm assuming he does. Does that matter? Right. I'm like, you know, like, who cares? Right, but he's going to be at the combine. Like, ah, he's only got a 17-inch vertical. Not a very good guy. Like, no, you're wrong. He's really good. Yeah. But let's say that we looked at that strength deficit. We found that I take away that that stretch shortening cycle or what that amortization phase, that part we go from eccentric to concentric, and he's equally as good. He's what he needs to be for that position. And I think the same thing across the board with everything that we should do. You want to lose body fat. Where are you storing it? What is that relative to? What do we need to work on today? And what are your ratios telling us that we need to work on? Let's go to work. Let's do that. And so back to the med ball throw of all it is is a start point, And I can use a relative marker to got Calvin and the rest of the world. And then off of that is where are you really good or deficient in, relatively speaking, to what position you play or what do you really want? Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Two, and now, the last question, because you know I'm going to be out there. I'm going to be throwing a medicine ball. I got to now to see where I yeah, am. Yeah, absolutely. Do, do I start at the ground or I start at my waist? Or do I start, start at your waist. So, yep, so just stand up normal. And then I, I try to do minimal instruction to see what it is wrong. and like see what it is just without provocation or influence. It's okay. all I'm going to tell you is find a way to get that ball as far backward as you can. So you're standing up tall. Med ball starts at your belly button. And then from there, you can't cross the line while you're throwing it. But afterwards, if you cross the line, that's completely fine. That's only two rules. Get okay. as far as you can okay. and see what happens. And there's like a, there's a whole other thought process of, um, if you're familiar with track and field, of the scissor jump or the Fosberg flop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. And, and if you look at that as an example of when people are forced to under, when, tell them what to do, not how to do it, and see what happens, the general patent line, like, 
That's yeah. how Crawford Bop basically came out. So if I tell you what to do and you figure out how to do it, yeah. I get a better indicator of your athleticism and just how much you do problem solving. Yeah. Like, are you intuitive enough to figure that out, right? Like, it's like a real road, road rules challenge. Just here's the rules, here's what, and then throw it as far as you can and see what happens. Like, all right, Jason's really athletic. You know, yeah. and I, can, I can coach him and get stronger and more explosive and more powerful, but the reality is he's a really good problem solver, really good athlete. He's got the right levers. I can go to that coach. Like, that guy can be a player. He can be a really good player. You know, we got a lot of room for growth here. Um, but, yeah, stand behind the line, hold the ball, belly button, and then throw it as far as you can backwards. After the after the release point, you can fall backwards and move your feet past the line, but not before. All right, I'm going to check in with you, and I'm either going to be really disappointed or really like, all right, dude, this old fart can kind of throw out throw medicine ball. I don't know. I yeah. Don't, I really don't know what to expect. And for, for those of you who don't know, the Fosbury flop, Dick Fosbury, man, every, every time – for the listener, every time you see someone do the high jump, that is not the way it used to be jumped. They did not used to run and jump backwards until Dick Fosbury blew everybody's mind. And as not only with how high he could get over the bar by doing that, but he used to dive over head first, which would seem so weird now. But uh, yeah, the, and, and that to me is something that just in business and everything, I mean, you brought up Pat and there's like being willing to just get the job done first how you do it so i like that there's there's a nugget of wisdom in there and then also this will before we get into your book because you you touched on something real quick there but i want to make sure that the audience really listens to the power and why eccentric work matters so much and why because you just it was kind of a revelation for me when you were talking about the squatting and everything being so focused on the concentric going up as opposed to it's always going to be easier to just go with the flow of gravity, but you're also losing some of the, the resistance that you could have there. So I want to get back to that and we'll lead that back into your book, but you mentioned something grip strength. So I'm going to ask you what are, because I've been really for longevity, you know, I keep, I've all of a sudden I've, I've started to hear more and more about grip strength. And it's one of the things that like uh, Peter Atia that we mentioned earlier, uh, he, whenever he has patients come in that are old like me that are just seeking longevity, one of the measurements that he does for strength is your grip strength. Uh, and, and so that's something I've started to focus on, just doing dead hangs for as long as I can. Uh, what are some other things? I guess now I'm going to start doing my, uh, my kettlebell swings. Of course, I've only got 45, uh, I think my, mine are 45 LB, two of those. I don't have any lighter ones. I'm going to get some lighter ones. There's no way I could do those 200, man. I, I used to do a hundred with i tried to do a hundred within uh one workout but not i would take at least like a 20 second break you know <laughs> but what are some other things i need to do in my grip strength and by because i noticed you today on your instagram doing your eccentric uh pull-ups or you know that i gotta believe that's probably good for grip strength but what are some other things i need to look at so before i go into improving grip strength a interesting note when we're talking about aura and say you got a poor readiness Yep. If you put self-limiting exercises in there that govern that, right? So I'm going to choose exercises that are governed by what your grip strength can give. And that's going to be a great indicator for your central nervous system function. Wow. So you come in today, I'm going to do a double overhand grip deadlift or 200 swings kettlebell. And like my grip gives out, I got to put it down. That's an indicator of what your CNS is ready to do on that given day, right? So for instance, I'm doing eccentric pull-ups and the protocol we're doing now as a gym is a drop set and it's 
It's 15 total reps, a drop between reps five and six and 10 and 11 with a five count eccentric. Okay. I can't do 15 pull-ups. Probably get pretty close to it, but not with a 501 on tempo. The issue being is I'm way stronger eccentrically. Organically, everyone is stronger eccentrically, right? We should have a naturally large strength deficit. So children without any training influence are going to have a really naturally high level of eccentric strength. That's how they're learning to move. Right. They learn to move reactively, that their central nervous system stops them and they should be stronger. So then over time, they start to overcome gravity by standing up. Right. And then by extension of that, we start to train, we start to play football and your high school strength coach, like get in there, just find a way. And then we start to shrink in that gap. And then you know, on the back end, we start getting closer to sports mastery of like start playing individual football, start ready to get in the pros. And we have this shrunk, shrunken gap creates another really high level opportunity to improve strength. So one of the things that we'll do from time to time is a just a, a body weight rep test. And wherever you're at kind of gives an indicator of your relative strength and your strength relative to your body mass, as well as what is your body composition. So people who are, have less dead weight or unnecessary weight can do more reps. So you're stronger and you have less body fat. Pretty good general indicator. But what it also does it kind of gives me some sort of perspective, relatively speaking, to your rep or your one RM. So we'll do one RM pull-ups throughout the calendar year. See where you're at. And if it's a really high number, it probably means that you're pretty concentrically oriented training, right? Because I've now figured out to overcome that concentric limiting factor. It's a great opportunity to focus on eccentric strength. Now, the issue being is eccentric strength is really CNS dependent or central nervous system dependent. So I go in there and I'm going to focus on this protocol, knowing that I'm extremely consensually oriented and consensually strong. And all right, I have a kid, a second one on the way, basically three businesses going on. I don't know what my central nervous system is going to be. My aura tells me like one of the things I think is really fascinating is fitter people have greater or less discrepancy in HRV than non-fit people will have more micro discrepancy on day to day. So we see these huge fluctuations. Like I can get my heart rate really fast. I can get my heart rate really low. My resting heart rate's in the 40s. So I'll have a micro really big spike. But macro, it's going to pretty much stay. I'm pretty routinely like death taxes and 50 to 60 on my HRV right now. So I'm not going to be able to use that as a valuable indicator of my CNS is shot. But what I can look at is grip and choosing exercises that are going to be really functioning off my grip strength. So I'm doing eccentric pull-ups. I got a certain weight on there. I should be able to hit for that load. I'm going to go down five, four, three, two, one. And then I do another rep. All of a sudden, like, I can't hold. And then another rep, I just can't go. My CNS isn't fully recovered, regardless of what my HRV just said. And on top of it, I'm probably not going to override my body's capacity before I get hurt. And then I hit that quote unquote critical drop off point of like whatever I'm doing is no longer effective with that weight, that tempo, or that rep, that rep range. I need to lighten the weight, adjust the tempo, or adjust the, te adjust, the rep, adjust the rep range to be able to complete that workout or just stop. And those are all things I have to consider. And as I go through that workout, I have to make that conscious decision. We use uh, another one called velocity based training where it actually tracks speed on everything so we can see everyone's speed throughout their concentric range. So if that starts slowing down, probably means like central nervous system's really limited. So all these like little rate limiting steps to help us choose a weight that we can safely load and not override it. But the same thing with grip strength, like double overhand grip, we never use straps. We look at all these things as like, 
you know, hey, I'm going to have to take in some sort of inventory of we're all parents, we all got jobs, we all got stressors. I don't know who you are from day to day, and I don't want to have to be able to decide that without some sort of objectivity. But you know what else? We always coach, we always joke about our velocity based system. It's called Jim Aware. Coach Jim Aware said, You don't got it at that weight, so you got to go lighter. Hey, that double overhand grip, you give this perplex look, I'm like, I can't hold it. Like, I know, I know, got to go lighter. You know, that, that double overhand grip's not forgiven, man. It is what it is. I can't maintain that tempo on the way down on my pull ups. We have fat grip everything. I don't believe in traditional grip, narrow grip bar. I don't care about ego. I don't care about absolute load. It doesn't matter to me what the actual weight bar is. As long as you're going through the set rep tempo with the prescribed rest as much as you possibly can with a really good technique. And the weight to me is like, should be naturally wanting to be pushed. Like you should try to push as hard as you can within the limits of what you can do in that given day. And fat grip allows me to do that a little bit more. So we have fat grip revolving dumbbells. We use these fat grips that we put on every barbell. Every possible chance we can use back grip, I'm going to do okay. every time. And that's a great indicator as well. But also, too, it organically trains that muscle group, right? So there's a bunch of different types of grip. I can crush. I can squeeze. I can extend. I can do some wrist, wrist motion, so flexion, extension, deviation, some rotation. I can rotate that way. There's, there's an innumerable amount of, like, grip isolated things. A great, like, website would be Iron Mind. It's just the best copy in all of fitness in my opinion like the, the copywriting there is hysterical but and just the just being a member of the magazine that they send like for their stuff like you get like a, a cover with an iguana on there and like what relevance has that anything who knows but it's amazing um but they're all grip right they have the captain crush they have all these things like squeezers and, tin, and pincers and stuff like that and different diameter stuff like and everyone's gonna like longer fingers shorter fatter fingers like me like 12 and 13 on the aura ring like you know, I'm going to be have a higher propensity to certain things and you'll have bigger, a better propensity with longer, maybe bigger hands. Like, and that being there, it's, it's all something to work on, right? Like, oh man, I can't squeeze anything like that. Or I can crush a barbell, but I can't squeeze or I can't pinch or I can't extend. Like, okay. These are areas that's just a limiting factor. It's an energy leak. That's going to limit my pressing and pulling. It's an energy leak. That's going to be manifest in elbow or shoulder pain. And if I can't grip it, I can't lift it. It's kind of the motto, but it's a great way to manage your CNS. It's a great way to respond to your aura. It's a great way to respond to feeling like crap and putting your bad wellness. But it's also a great way to pick up some lagging areas. And, you know, one of the biggest, easiest things I do with most of our members here is improve relative strength, improve upper back strength, so more pull-up and more inverted row orientation, improve posterior chain strength, you know, if you can see it, if you can't see it, I got a great opportunity usually. And then grip strength right in there. And they just organically put it in there. Like it should, it should have, it shouldn't be intrusive or inhibited. I'm like, I don't want to spend an enormous amount of time doing isolation exercises of grip. I want to figure out creative ways to kind of get, you know, higher ROI from the movements I'm doing and double up back grip, longer duration holds, like things like that I'm going to be doing with these traditional exercises, like hinge, push, pull, hinge, and squat just done in a way that actually challenges that grip a little bit more. All right. So I got to ask you this too, because your life has changed a bit since you've become an entrepreneur, you know, that, and so all these, these, the disciplines and inputs and protocols, whatever you want to call it, that we, we deploy to keep our body ready for a good workout for good training. Now you've got a whole new element of that. Now that you're an entrepreneur and you survived COVID, brick and mortar through that whole process. Like I told you, we share that, uh, that, that challenge as, a, as my wife 
wife and I being uh, retail business owners. So how have you been able to maintain or let that, that, that fitness discipline to make sure you're ready cross over into your business and family life because I think that's one of the things that's so key that we can be really good at one area but then you take all that and it's all of a sudden we become the athlete that stayed up all night playing video games and Jim Lair has a great book and who you know is a legendary sports psychologist and has trained some of the best athletes in the world and again it's back behind me I can't remember the name of the book um, something like something focus which is uh, intense focus or something like that, but he transit translates that athletes clock and their, their off season is necessary in the business world. There has to be, you can only work in certain amount of sprints instead of trying to do a marathon. Like I could, like if I decided to do four interviews today, back to back to back to back, the fourth, probably by the third interview, it's going to really suck. It'd be terrible because you need to take some time off. Have you been able to transition those disciplines from the sports and, and health and wellness world to the, to your entrepreneurial world? Uh, so it, it, that's actually a really interesting way of phrasing that. Um, cause I don't think necessarily you think at the time you're doing something that it's universally true, you know, so right. the, the things that you, you do with exercise, it's like, right. So 13 year old guy meandering into gold's gym, um, trying not to look like an idiot and get yelled at by the 30 year old guy who's doing chest on Monday, you know, like that guy, you know, and the habit loops that I created at that point in my life and now manifesting into like, that's my anchor. That's a place where I, you know, find solace and peace and the whole thing. Right. And just it's second nature for me. Right. And then when you're going through like a business owner and you're looking at it, like, I don't even know how to get a business license. I don't even know. I mean, the, I remember I can, I got literally I'm sitting two feet away from the first sale we ever had. And I remember sitting there like one, like, I don't know if I should hard sell them. I don't know if I'm killing the sale. And then on the back end, I didn't even know how to get the payment. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, wow, I, I know nothing here, you know? And like, I think when you're looking at that, that mindset that you create at that, like 13 year old, like I know nothing and I am in nowhere near shape or form like these other guys have been doing this for years and i'm intimidated and insecure but if you have this like mindset of like it's just where i'm at and i'm okay with that and i'm okay with messing up for a while and being bad at it for a while and going through with it but the, just the, the process of growth and change I don't necessarily think that's something that like I thought at the time when I was going through that as a 13 year old kid, even like entering the college, and just, I can tell you how many times I can tell you all the times I get this like peculiar perplexed look at the guys I intern under of like what we're thinking. And now as like a business owner, the same thing, like the only problem is you don't have that person going, that's so wrong. Like you're, you're on your own, you're on an island and you're like, you're probably too insecure to call Jason like, hey, like. I just, do you know how to get payment? This may be a stupid question, but like, do I need some sort of like Squarespace? Like, and yeah. you know, like, how did you open up a business? Or what were you thinking? Like, how did you not know that? Like, I'm sorry, I just kind of jumped into it. And like, so you're in such a vulnerable, insecure spot where like, you don't even know what questions to ask, let alone like what things that you should be doing and how you should manage in your day. But I think there is that like, that, the way you framed it or that phrase that question was like did it carry over and the things you learned from that like i guess in hindsight absolutely because i didn't know anything and i was 
I was really excited about that. And I think in the same thing as an entrepreneur, like, you know, that thrill of getting the first sale without being any good at it. And you're like, wow, this person's going to give me a hundred bucks a month here for the unforeseeable future. Why? Like, why would you do that? Like, I don't even know how to get the money. You know, it looks so unpro. And now, now looking at it, like, I mean, that person's actually still with us. And I find that's crazy. Like, the guy's been with us for five years and it just means he likes what we're doing. But the other side of it is like, man, it was so... It's such an unfinished version and still not like it's still like so many areas and iterations to yep. and like same thing with health and fitness like it's an unfinished product permanently like it's i read da vinci's um biography which is an amazing thing walter um, isaacson's one of my favorite that's why that's why the whole vitruvian project and all this stuff that i'm yeah learning, that's where i first learned about the the genesis of the vitruvian man and so the vitruvian letter that's in my newsletter i, I love i loved learning about leonardo da Vinci. he never finished a painting ever yeah he could you just sit there and look at the last supper for hours like nope i'm gonna go yep. back home yeah and like you're like isn't that what we do in small business like we're just kind of like yeah Absolutely. it's just kind of never done which is a gift and a curse right like right. it's it's always going to keep you engaged if you're you I mean just you can do this 24 hours a day yep. it's never going to be done versus like having the discipline and the, I guess the emotional confidence to go, it's the most I can do today. I still got to go home and be a dad and a husband. And I got other things to do, but just that in itself, like just the fact that he stopped at the peak of his artistic career and just like, no, nah, I'm just going to pay attention to anatomy and physiology for two years. Like what? Uh, and, and then the other part too, I just think find this is like the most fascinating. I just finished I, I, um, Isaac Newton's biography as well by James Glick and like, um, they're all human, you know, like uh, Isaac Newton was so petty and he had this guy who was like an antagonist and he didn't want any credit going to it. He's brilliant yeah. scientist, Robert Hooke. And then Da Vinci and Michelangelo and like, you know, just this like petty squabble. And, like they're human. They were savants, they were brilliant, they were geniuses. They had more mental bandwidth and other, they changed the world, but they still had these day-to-day -day things. And you're looking at it like, yeah, there's that guy who annoys me. Like, it's okay to have those feelings, but process to the bigger thing of like, are we constantly moving forward? And in a small business, like you can have this, like, just like in health and fitness, like you're always going against another yardstick. And when you're faced with that, what do I do today? And this insurmountable list that you never know you're going to, you're never going to complete versus man, that gym down the road that's doing really well, or that small business entity that's comparable or that big business entity that's comparable, like it's more of a finished product. You know, like I, I always looked at it like I did in fitness. Like I'm not comparing myself to them, but they're a good marker. Yep. And looking at it like that's a good marker for what I need to be doing today to be successful. And I don't know this. I better learn it. I better appreciate that. I need to find people who can help me with that. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I would say that's the mantra. And uh, you know, that is thinking out loud about it. Like all these, like these these resources and books and people and just podcasts and just communicating it's all getting into this like one centralized thing and just getting projected out of like this is your product and this is your system and this is how it manifests into you know something tangible for someone to buy and do and experience and like you know you got to be cognizant of where that influence came from you got to be appreciative of it and then you got to become efficient and then you got to be organized and then you got to figure out how to convince someone to buy it. And then on the back end, you got to convince them to stay. And then you have to constantly, you know, basically do all the customer service aspects as well as having a good product. And um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, same thing with fitness and coaching and everything else. It's just universal, I guess. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've always, I've said on this podcast a million times, when it comes to entrepreneurship, 
I always equate it to this time. Listener, forgive me. Here comes the Harley Davidson story again, because you've probably heard it three times now at least. But I, a lot of people, for them, entrepreneurship, it's a great idea. Sounds good, and they aspire to it. But the reality versus the idea of it are two very different things a lot of times. Like I had this big idea that I thought it'd be really cool to own a Harley Davidson until one day my buddy borrows a little Harley Sportster, the, the smallest one you can ride, right? We go to our church parking lot, and I lay the thing over within 25 yards trying to make a turn. I was like, yep, good idea. It, was, it, it seemed like a good idea, but in reality, terrible idea. Same thing with entrepreneurship. It never ends. The business, when you go home, it never stops. I remember having to explain to an employee one time, yeah, while you were in Hawaii, I had to make sure the phones were still ringing when you came back. Uh-huh. You know, that's, you don't understand that. So, well, I'll just offer it up, brother. Don't do like I have done so many times in my career. There are bright people out there that are pulling for you. And, uh, and not that I'm one of the bright ones, but I'm definitely one of them that's pulling for you. So use me as a resource and I will help you because we, those of us who have been there, that's where I made the mistake. I thought I had to figure everything out on my own. I, and I had great mentors around me, but I never put them in a room and go, you know, I honestly think I might go broke next month. Um, how can I keep from doing that? Now, I never did, and I made it through it, but it would have been a lot easier just to have – one of my favorite conversations I ever had was with, was with this couple whenever I bought my first real estate brokerage. And, and I actually I, – I didn't do a whole lot of transactions, but in those early days, man, I, I had leveraged myself to the hilt. So I was out there knocking on doors for, for sale by owners, whatever it took. I was selling, and I had this elderly couple. They were about you know, 75, 80 years old, and they were paying cash for what would definitely be their last home ever. And it was during that closing, they told me how they had been bankrupt in their 30s. It was a bad time. I think it was during the 70s or whatever, do the math, whatever it was. But they, and yet they had survived it. And he had been like a construction guy and had his own business for years. And there they were paying cash for their house. All their bills were paid. And so for me, it just was a good reminder that it's going to be okay. Our worst fears rarely ever come to pass, but nevertheless, having people that have seen those stories and have gone a little bit ahead to go, Hey, it's going to be okay. I know it seems like this could be, so don't do it. No, which kind of mentioned two things in there. And this, I guess a direct question for you, knowing what you know now about being a business owner, if you had to start from scratch tomorrow, would you do it again? And then the second part would be, uh, that feeling of would you do it with a bigger safety net and do you think you'd be as good? Okay, so the first answer is yes, I absolutely would, but I would make sure, with hindsight being my guide, I would make sure it was a business I was really, really passionate about. Yeah. I, my, because here's what, because I, I was the guy, I was 28 and I just wanted to get out of corporate America. So I started looking for businesses to either buy or start and end up buying a real estate brokerage had never sold a house in my life, had no interest in real estate whatsoever, but the barriers to entry were such that I could leverage it up. And uh, I actually, in a book I wrote, I talk about how I bought my first company with no money down because I had no money to put down. And so there's, there's a, there's two answers in that one scenario. One, yes, I would do it again, but I would do it with a business. I was really passionate about like what you've done. You've taken years of expertise, something you know about, and you can take that right into this, into what you're doing now with the content creation, you're writing, and that is, it's all going to feed on itself, right? So your business that you currently have is going to feed your content creation. Your content creation is going to feed the business that you know, that you, I mean, you could, that you can do with your eyes closed and both arms behind your back. 
So there's that. The next, the bigger safety net, no. I th now this is just my opinion. I think that this uh, you know, there's who was it that wants now I do think there's if if someone's out there listening and you've got a real job. I had a real job whenever I was getting through the buying process of my company but then I had to burn my ships. I had I moved my family from Houston to Tyler where I had I had no family, no friends in a business I had never done anything in and I had savings. That was it. And um and I think there's something to that. You cannot simulate that pressure. Uh, someone once said that the, there's uh, the two most addictive drugs in the world are cocaine and a paycheck every two weeks. And the second one will kill you. Mm -hmm. you know? And because there's something about that paycheck every two weeks that will keep, especially if it's enough to cover everything that will lull you into just putting things off, putting things off. Whereas if the saber tooth tiger of debt and responsibility is chasing you, you're going to keep running even when you don't want to, because if you stop, you will be eaten and you will die. And I just don't think that you can simulate that. So I would say, absolutely. I would do it again, but I'm doing it. I'm just doing it much differently. And look, I put myself into a position where I can do things like writing, uh, coaching, business advisory, things that I can, draw from those experiences, but I'm going to do it this time the way I want to do it, the way I like to do it. I know what kind of customers I want to have, what kind of customers I just don't want to have. Mm -hmm. So I would absolutely do it again. I, I just, I don't think that people I've told people for years, you know, I've spent over 20 years uh, trying not to have a real job, you know, and I'm going to keep doing that. And I think that's what an entrepreneur does a lot of ways. Another one, another great little uh, adage that uh, one of my mentors, uh, Phil Burks, who's been on this program three times said, he said, you know, entrepreneurs are the only people in the world who will work 90 hours a week to keep from working 40 hours a week. You know, yeah. and I think there's a lot of truth to that. So, so yeah. that, that's, that would be my, uh, that, that's kind of my thoughts on that. Because on that note, in my profession, and have you read the book, The E-Myth? Which one? The E-Myth? Yeah. No, I haven't, but I, I know the book, but no, I haven't read that one. So, I mean, I always, whenever I get a call from a coach, because whatever it is, Truck America, like you, it's basically the entire premise of the unit. It's always the craftsman or the worker bee that feel like they can do the job better than their employer or their boss, you know. And and what it does, it creates this you know, second order of you leave and you try to do it. And the limiting factor is not the skill, it's not the the product, it's not what you could potentially do. It's you can't sell it and you can't manage it. Right. And what eventually happens it creates this feedback loop of you just double down on what you know and what you're good at, and you never really focus on selling and managing it. But where you find it's even more compounded is when you don't quit your day job. So for instance, a college strength conditioning coach who's like, I'm gonna open up my own business, I'm gonna do online training or whatever else they might think about doing based off of what they see from me. And they, they simply aren't gonna quit their job because they got family, they got bills like everyone else. I know it won't be successful and it's probably not a really good use of my time to help them because they're just not willing to put all their eggs in that basket. They're not that, it shows their real threshold and their their actual like their their guts towards that. And until you're faced with that reality, is hey, my programs are great, my ability to coach is really good, but I don't know how to sell this. Like I'm sitting there with this guy who's like, I just don't know how it's going to help me. I just don't know. It's a lot of money. Oh man, it's just I can get it cheaper down the road. Oh man, I really don't know how to do it. And then manage it of scaling you and knowing that you can't do everything all the time. You have to replicate what you do. 
and knowing that if I want to expand and grow and actually get to a certain profitability, that it's not going to be a single standalone location. That's going to be removing me from direct correspondence with every single person on every single day. That that's the limiting factors. That I would never do that if I was still having a paycheck coming in from Army West Point and I was trying to do this remotely. Like, yeah, I'll get to it. I, I don't have to face those problems head on because I don't have to, I'm not living and dying off of it. Right. Um, and I, I think about that too, of like, if some, if I had that inclination when I was working somewhere, I wanted to do it. Like I probably wouldn't do a business if I had that safety net. And I probably don't knowing now what I know now and how hard it is, you know, knowing like, I don't know if I have stuff to do this all over again, but if I had to do it, it would definitely be with, all right, throw me in on the deep end. Cause that's the only way you really going to push and get to find a way. It truly, it truly is, man. I think a good, so I guess it was that the movie that was based on the true story, the pursuit of happiness with Will Smith, which I think every would be entrepreneur, anybody that just feels bad about their situation should watch that. And I think it opens up that, you know, he talks about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it's the, you ha happiness doesn't just come. Happiness shows up during the pursuit You've got to just be pursuing whatever it is with all your heart, with all your mind. And the thing is, one day you'll look up and you go, oh, well, I'm happy. But yeah. happiness is not a thing in and of itself. You have to pursue and you have to drive it. And I think a lot of that with entrepreneurship, you're, and you look at all the businesses, you look at all the accidental entrepreneurs. They failed miserably at one thing and they were thrust into it. It's very rare. Yeah, you hear of the, and that's kind of how I got into it when I was 28 and I was, when I first started working, I noticed all these really successful executives around me that were like 55, 60 years old. And they were talking about how they couldn't wait to retire and they were going to buy some small little business and run it in some town that they liked or whatever. And I'm like, so you're going to go through all this crap, wait till you're 55 or 60 and then do it. And I just, for me, I'm a pretty simple guy. I go, well, I'm not going to wait that long. And by mm -hmm. the way, I'm not going to stay out here in fortune 500 America where I've got to wait 35, 40 years be away from my family a lot because I travel all the time. I'm, yeah, I might make a lot of money. I'll get the country club membership. I'll buy the big car. I'll get lulled into that life. And then what, 35, 40 years, look up and I didn't build anything that it was mine. I don't know. It, it just, it takes a different mindset. And I, for me, and the cool thing is most people, what they don't realize, I think, Tim, depending on who they are, this is not, this is not a universal truth, but I think this is a universal truth for those who, actually have the ability if you are indeed an entrepreneur and you've really got the 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 drive you don't have to be the smartest guy you do not have to be the smartest guy you just have to be the most the one most willing to show up the one to get knocked on your ass and pop back up it's the same all the same analogies we hear in sports if you're that person then the chances of you failing if you really are that person the chances of you failing are really pretty slim i mean this is still in given all the terrible things going on, this is still the United States of America. If you can't make it here, my suggestion is don't leave. Yeah. Don't leave. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're screwed. And so uh, I think that's, I think that's it. So yeah, you're right, man. If the safety net's too big, you will, you'll, you'll just have, you won't have to close that cell because you're still going to eat. If you don't make, there's a big difference between if I don't sell this dude, his hundred dollar a month membership, then I'm not going to be able to feed the family. Versus if I don't sell this guy, well, that's okay. Maybe I'll get the next one tomorrow because mm -hmm. we're still going to eat. Big, uh, big difference in mindset there, my brother. There's a, a, a moment in pursuit of happiness when he spends a night in jail and then he has to interview. 
and he's wearing, you know, basically a tank top and paint covered, uh, paint covered pants and everything. And like, if you were in my shoes, you know, why would I hire you? Or if I hired you, what would you say? A guy must have had a really nice, nice pair of pants on, right? That amazingly like clever and obviously it's a script and sure it's dramatized, but like watching that movie before being an entrepreneur, I'm like, oh, it's really funny. It's really, really clever. Afterwards, rewatching it, you're like, that's from years and years and years of getting turned down by doctors and people who don't want his crappy machine that he's got to convince them works. And you just get, you just get better in the moment, right? Like you handle rejection, you handle objection, you handle, you handle people that, hey, this is, this doesn't feel authentic and natural. Like I don't know you. You're convincing me that you've got something that can bring me value. I don't, I'm not going to take you at face value. And that's something that you don't realize when you have a product that you really feel passionate about, that you think everyone's just going to take for granted that like, damn, Jason and Tim, they got, I, I trust you. Your resume is, and what I was talking about before, they didn't care, you know, like that, like that element of like, all right, what you did before is irrelevant. How is this going to help me going forward? It took me a long time to get rejected and get objections and get a bunch of people to like get, say, I, I'm just, I just don't know how this is going to help me. And I don't see the value to now. Okay. I'm still working on it and it's still a different platform, but I still want to keep that internal drive and that hunger. We have more proof of concept, but it took a long time to get comfortable with that and selling yourself and, you know, being assertive, but also to being like patient and like, it's not a natural thing for someone to go, man, that's a lot of money or that's, all right, I can get this cheaper. I just don't understand why you are so expensive and what you're, what actually value you bring, let alone like price points, not the problem. It's just, I don't know if I want to do this. Yeah. That, that process of like, I got a really nice set of pants on, like the guy must have a really good set of pants on. Like that, that's not happening in the moment. That's taken from years and years and years of getting out there and cold calling and hitting the, the, the foot to the pavement and trying to get out there, convince someone what you do is great. And them saying, no, it's not, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, here's what you have. Here's what you have, my friend. And this is something I want you, and you probably heard the story. So forgive me. There's multiple versions of it out there. But there were these guys at the shipyard, ships broke down, the engine won't run. It's like a $500,000 engine, something like that. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, and it won't run. Brand new, will not run. So they call up this guy. He's been around for years and years, and they call him up. He's an old uh, mechanic that works on ship engines. So he comes up. He looks at it. He pulls out a hammer. Yeah. He taps it just a little bit, and all of a sudden, engine fires up. They're all just applauding. Wow, amazing. He sent, they get the bill from the, uh, from the guy, the guy was there like maybe 10, 15 minutes. He sends him a bill for 10 grand. The guy in charge of the project calls said, you're going to have to send me an itemized invoice. You just, you charged us $10,000 for this. You weren't even here for 30 minutes. Old man says, no problem. I'll send you an itemized uh, invoice. He, uh, he sends the invoice. It says, and it says, wrote the the trip you know the call service call hundred dollars knowing where to tap the hammer nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollars and and that's you brother it's like you know here's the deal i i know where to tell you to work to get your engine running i know how to make you better and i've got the years of experience you can go jack around in any gym you want you can go to you know 10 bucks a month whatever but that's who you are, man. And so I, I'm excited to see that you're at this part of the journey 
and to get to be here. I can't wait to get your book. And that's the thing I want to make sure that we have hit on who's the book for, what am I going to learn? And you know, when is it coming out? When can we get it? And then where else people, this audience can get in touch with you and get behind you. So the book is what we talked about before, uh, trying to take concentric or eccentric again, overcoming or yielding or lowering, and just try to put it in a specific order or I guess amount to get us that outcome of, Hey, I want to either be more elastic or I want to be more, uh, really overcoming or concentric. And when we break that down, you know, the, the thought is of who is the book for, you know, it's what I did with football and it's what I still do with football players. It's that, that, that direct kind of cause of like, all right, I have the program that I really got to make some close some gaps for the competition because we're so far behind. I got to get more creative and more specific. I just got to get better with less. Now, what it jacks out to that, it's hopefully it's, I have a, a, a team or a group that I want to work on. I find that I'm kind of coming up short and I'm hitting these kind of like plateaus. I need to kind of revisit some stuff. So on one level, it's really designed for football, maybe by extension track and field, what we kind of call archetype driven sports. So, you know, on one level you have this, and maybe you've seen like the, the, the Instagram meme, I love football. Cause you have Darno, you have like Vince Wolfolk on the same field as Devonta Smith. And like both those guys are amazing football players and they can be really successful in their own right, playing in the same field at different times. So it's an archetype driven sport, same thing with track and field. You have the best shot putter in the world, competing in the world, competing in the Olympics with the best 100 meters per in the world, like the same bolt and the same, the same shot putter from Jamaica. It doesn't look nearly the same, but they both have a high probability of winning the gold. So elite level standards with drastic different body types playing the same sport. Like so it. that's where it comes from. But the other side is, I think there's a systemic problem of, you know, that we talked about before we measure what matters. We also, we also measure what we can easily quantify. And then that becomes where we focus on, right? So in business, for instance, like I can look at gross and net and we always joke about like gross is doing great, but our net is not really good. So the health of our business isn't there, but look at gross. Like, and I think the same thing we do in strength conditioning and performance in general, like we measure what we most either most readily identify with or we most readily understand. Yep. And I think that creates a second order problem. Like you've seen businesses fail because they just can't manage your operating budget or just be disciplined with what they're spending on. And they're making a ton of money versus, Hey, we got to run a little leaner. we got to be more there. And the same thing with strength conditioning. Like I see strength conditioning programs or just pro training programs come up short time and time again, because they myopically focus on what they either understand or they want to be true. And what this will do is look at it. Okay, we'll start with the end in mind. Let's reverse engineer or invert what we want. Okay, I want to lose body fat or I want to run faster. Where are we at now? And then from there, based off of what like we want to be in that or needs analysis, we can start to reverse engineer. Does it need to go in this direction? So hopefully in some way, shape, or form, if I work with football, high school, or college, transition coach, grab this book, get a really good framework. Then the fun part of logistically, which is going to be the big part of my second book, is how to write programs for the team setting or group setting. It's kind of like building up in terms of uh, right now we're leveling into this versus that other person out there having hey, training. I've been going through some stuff. Might be some really deep technical stuff, which depending on your threshold, like you want to get you know weird with it, like great opportunity to dive deep um, for some stuff that's like, oh, kind of over my head. Awesome. Uh, further opportunity to grow and learn, or let's get you connected to a really good coach that might understand that stuff. But then the really big part is it's hopefully a 
a way to look at a very similar approach that we all do on a daily basis in life and training and anything, and then think about it in a different perspective of this is a framework, a model. And if you ever read anything like Great Mental Models, it comes out with Charlie Munger's line of like all models are useful, but some some are wrong. Exactly. You know, like they're not perfect fits in every situation. Like, so if I'm working with a football team, it's going to be beautifully fit into that. If it's working with a basketball team with more a, more, a less heterogeneous environment, more homogenous from start to finish, might not be as applicable, but maybe you can look at it like, oh man, their counter movement jumps or their non counter movement jumps not that great. I feel like these guys need to be a little bit more elastic or better in that role. So I'm going to use that increasing the deficit or getting a more essentially strong or elastic type of framework with those guys exclusively. Or, hey, maybe I work with a bodybuilder that wants to put on lean muscle mass and that guy needs to leverage tension better. Hey, I'm looking at this like simple metric of looking at their jump profile. I'm like, they're really eccentrically strong, really good in that area. I got to get them actually strong concentrically. Or maybe you don't, but maybe it just gives you a whole perspective to think about, hey, I have a huge window of opportunity here that I can lean in on that might actually help move that ceiling a little bit higher and increase potential down the road. I love it, man. I love it. Well, I hope that you do for eccentric what uh, Ben Patrick has done for knees over toes. I mean, that's just stupid how that dude's blown up. It's crazy. And It's uh, amazing, though. It's really awesome. And, yeah. like, you break it down on the surface level. Brilliant marketer, brilliant everything, and I'm seems like a genuinely nice guy. I don't know yeah. him personally, but the other side of it, if there's any like professional in the industry, that's like, Oh, poo, poo that it's probably envy because yeah. if you really break it down, what is he saying? Saying get your posterior chain strong, get your anterior chain strong, train through a full range of motion, do it in a progressive manner. If you're not there, start here. That's training. Yep. It just happens. He's better at telling people about it. <laughs> yeah. Don't hate the game. You know, like, hey, like look at him. Like, He's doing what, like I've been talking about with clients on a much more smaller scale at a large scale. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's probably an element of like that envy or that just, you know, insecurity of like his station in life is a lot better, but Hey, you can't knock what he's saying because it needs to make sense. And, and there could be someone saying, okay, well, it's not a universal truth of like getting that much knee flexion or dorsal flexion while they split squat or squat. I don't think he's saying that if you really break it down what he's saying is we should strive to that and that's why we can't do that might mean improving posterior chain strength or range of motion or progressing from an elevated surface down these are things that we're doing intuitively as strength conditioning coaches just he's better at creating a system or selling it or marketing it so i hope i'm there um but in the meantime i'm i'm happy he's accessible as he is and nothing but appreciation for spreading the good word on good training well, brother, I know you're going to crush it. And where can people find you? What, what's the website? What, where are you on social media? What's the best place for people to uh, get in touch with you? So uh, my personal is Coach Tim Karen, uh, which you know, kind of just kind of usually my like my training, like throwing it out to the world. Um, and then the uh, the actual website and the book is on this um, separate handle called uh, Performance Health Podcast. Uh, and the website is actually that PerformanceHealthPodcast.com. And then the book actually pre-order. We're going to come out here in a couple of weeks. Um, which will all be featured on the website. And then uh, I'll just keep posting on that. And then Twitter, uh, pretty similar handle, same handles, Cook Tim Karen, and then just trying to feed it all into that. And then um, and then uh, I think that's it. Yeah, that's it for all social on that. All right, brother. Well, Tim, this has been a blast, dude. I knew this was going to look, look at me. We just crushed, I mean, well over an hour, and I knew we would. Uh, this was so fun. I appreciate your time, and you are welcome on the Jason Wright Show anytime as a matter of fact like i told you before 
once the book has been out for a little while, I want to get you back on. Let's whatever I can do to support you. This has been awesome. And so now I've got to go out and my wife's going to think I'm crazy whenever I load up my medicine ball and head out to the football field and say, here, honey, get, stand, stand here. It's happening, dude. Now I'll, sh I'll share the results with you. Good, bad, or indifferent. <laughs> no, it's, it's amazing to see like, all right, you know, people in the world can throw that ball 70 feet plus and then wherever it lands, it lands. It's just where we're at in our life. But it's that feeling of, and that's where I get really like, talk about like top down approach. I get really uh, passionate about when I see fitness concepts force you into this hierarchy and make you feel less than. I don't, I hate that. Yeah. I feel like when you get a percentile grade of where the top in the world is, relatively speaking to where you're at, and if you're just starting or if you're, you're working really hard, it takes a long time to make change. That, that creates pressure and creates this external environment that I think is dangerous. And, you know, one of the big pushes I want to be able to provide with general populations is it doesn't matter what the top, it gives you a foreign reference, but bottom line is what does that do to change you is really the big goal. And it shouldn't force you to do something that you're not ready for. It shouldn't make you do something that you don't feel safe or comfortable. And if we can get a, hopefully a more systematic approach, this is where you're at and this point in your life and that's okay. Do you want to change? Yes, great. We're going to have to go in this step-by-step -step fashion. But don't worry about that just yet. Just know that's out there and hopefully that positively influences you because you're not doing that yet, if not ever, just where you're at. So that's my other rant, though. I love it, though, man. Makes good <laughs> sense. All right, brother. Well, sit tight. I'll say goodbye to you in just a minute. But until then, hey, folks, if you're watching on the YouTube channel, Tim Karen, check him out. And the book is going to be coming out. It'll be available on Amazon and probably anywhere else you can buy a book called Strength Deficit. I can't wait to get that copy. If you are watching, please click subscribe, write some comments. If you have any questions for Tim, put them in the comment section. Also, please remember to follow me on Instagram at Jason right now. And also, if you would, please leave a five-star rating on iTunes. That helps us climb in the rankings for the Jason Wright Show. I would appreciate it. And until we are back together again, always endeavor to improve always and always he's tim i'm jason and we are out